welcome to Strange Phenomena. So I'm setting up the uh, the instruments right now, interpolating the sinusoids, and uh, we're going to check if we get any EVP. All right, we're here on a strange phenomena. You know, this is episode 35, and we're uh, we're here at the Naval Academy Sanatorium, uh, looking for some ghosts. You know, that's how we do it. No big camera crews, oh, just fuck. a couple people here. It's all looking uh, for you know proof of the paranormal. I'm here with uh, our equipment tech, uh, Chris, and and my fellow investigator, Emily. How you doing, guys? Doing good. Ready to see some ghosts today. Yeah, as soon as I stepped in here, I could really feel the presence, and um, you know, uh, we're, we're going to figure it out. I know, man. I like it's it's like late October right now, but I'm feeling chills, man. I really, I like it's it's cold in here, and like just a few minutes ago, it was really hot. It was like I don't know why, but it was hot, and now it's cold, and like I th- I think that that's, there's some stuff around here. Yeah, chills. Do you guys smell that? Hey. Uh, you know, all right. You know, let's let's just uh, let's get let's just get into it. All right. So, uh, why don't you, uh, Chris, like set up uh, the recorder so we can get some electronic voice phenomena, some EVPs. Or- yep, yep. Oh, great! The EVPs, yeah, those always work really well. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah let's try it, guys. Yeah. Oh, we're rolling, we're rolling. Right. Yeah, we're rolling. Okay, all right. Are you are you in this room? Yeah, I'm in the room. What 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 made you die? Jesus, that's really an insensitive question. I can't believe... We read about how there were some government experiments in here uh, trying to turn people into super soldiers. Is that true? Are you a super soldier? No, I'm not a super soldier. I was a nurse. Are you a super soldier that killed kids? Are Jesus. you part of the the government's program to kill kids with super soldiers? What the fuck? I, oh, oh man! Oh god! Something touched me. Did you feel that? Did you touch me? Was did any of you touch me? No. Oh, I'm picking up some really weird stuff here. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Play back. Play back. <laughs> Okay, good. Didn't pick up anything that I said. Okay. Well, I have something really important to tell these ghost hunters, so I hope maybe they'll try it again. Oh, somebody touch me! (laughs) Uh, Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I forgot to shift it by pi over two. One second. I I got this. All right. I like my hat. I like my hat. I like my hat. I like my hat? I don't not even close to anything else. oh man no didn't we just read about how they put these special hats on the super soldiers to turn them into like death machines i think we read about that yeah creating the hive mind i remember yeah yeah i think that i think that's what man this is like we totally debunked the idea that this was just a boring old hospital All this right. is totally i gotta figure hospital. out how to get these guys to do another evp maybe if i uh maybe if i go poke this one in the ribs real quick <laughs> Did somebody oh. touch you too? <laughs> uh, Emily, Emily, why don't you uh, use uh, your uh, like one of the five crystals you have hanging around your neck right now uh, to try to commune with uh, all of the spirits that are in this space right now? Yeah, yeah, that could work. Spirit, 
Do you have anything to share with us? Yes, finally. Okay, yes. Yes, I do. Listen very carefully. Jeffrey Epstein did not commit suicide. I repeat, Jeffrey Epstein did not commit suicide. All right, I think, I think we got something. Okay, yeah, Chris, roll it back. Roll it back. Iron weeds. No, no, that's not what I said. Iron weeds. <sighs> What does that mean? It's a nice onesie you got there. Your your guys' matching onesies are fucking yeah. killing me. Dude. Like, yeah, I, I feel like they're they're so I know adorable. What we're, what we're doing for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. These were cheap. They were like twenty bucks on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're super comfy. They're like, uh, With their comically large zippers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, 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 so like your 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 drug your drugged out fingers can. Yeah. Like exactly. Uh, but yeah, we got bear onesies. And yeah. And was uh, sweet. Went out on Friday night as uh, as the Lost Boys from Peter Pan. Yeah. Adorable. Yeah. Just like nobody asked us what we were. They were bears. just like, ah, fuzzy. Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> Can't believe it took us till thirty-one to realize we were furries. <laughs> well, I'm not thirty-one. I'm I'm a little heady oh, on yeah, the yeah, curve sorry, there. Yeah. <laughs> took me so long <laughs> to find out, but I, I found, found out. out. <laughs> <laughs> I was a furry. <laughs> no, apparently, uh. Furries had a purge of their uh, society uh, of the alt right. Oh no! Well, yeah. no, oh, that's I, I, good. No, that's well, good. Well, I mean, it's, I, I'm like sad that that, that like they had a, an alt right problem. Yeah, yeah. It's like finding out you, you your house get those has termites out of there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, know. yeah, wouldn't you know? They were just they were dressing up as frogs. They were the only <laughs> only frogs and lizards. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I forget who was telling us the story. It was maybe like five or six years back, but it was... Um, it was about oh, the was, furry con? Yeah, yeah, Dan Lyles. It was Lyles. Dan Lyles, yeah, definitely. Dan He's Lyles. always got the furry stories. Yeah, he was telling me uh, telling us about... Called the, the, out. Yeah, no, <laughs> he was telling us about the, the furry con or whatever, yeah. and apparently it was like this big, huge um Are you sure this disaster. wasn't me? Because... Oh, do you know about it? Well, maybe it's a different story, but when I went to the Society for Cinema and Media Studies conference yeah. in Atlanta, there was a furry con- convention at the hotel right next to ours um was and possibly at the same convention or maybe he heard the story from you and then I don't know. from him that's what i was wondering but yeah. and, oh, and, and 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 was the 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 furry conference next to you like having a alt-right problem no, no it was oh, just a okay. shit ton of furries <laughs> everywhere like the whole weekend we were there for five days i think and i saw thousands of furries it was cool what they were a- really nice one of my, or no, this was my second, my second, my uh, second uh, academic conference. Uh, we shared a, a hotel with uh, a conference of uh, tow truck drivers, and uh, they called the cops on us for being too loud. Wow, that's really wow. rude. Yeah, you yeah. Guys, you would think you guys that. are really rude. Yeah, yeah. We got the cops called on you for being loud. Yeah. <laughs> we should say that we're hashtag blessed to have Emily on the show today. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. You know, I'm always in the nebulous space around you guys. It's the first time you've caught me on camera. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes we do get a little door creak from when you come home. This is true. Yeah. 
Yeah, but now we have really solid EVP proof that you exist. Yeah, my ectoplasma <laughs> is everywhere on this. <laughs> Gross. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah, so uh, to listeners that don't know, this is my lovely fiance, Emily. Uh, and this is where we record our uh, episodes every week is the uh, downstairs of the uh, house that, uh, that we uh, share. Yeah, it's a beautiful castle. So we're going to do a spooky episode today, in case you can't tell already. Um. We're going to talk about some hauntings from the Hudson Valley. We're going to maybe talk about David's essay on ghost hunting and ghost adventures. Hell yeah. I thought maybe we could start by just like, have you guys ever had any particularly spooky experiences that you want to share on Mike? I can't say that I have any personally, just running from the car because I thought dinosaurs were chasing me. That sounds yeah. That's, that's super totally spooky. mental thing. It's not a. <laughs> there was no evidence of this. It was just like ah. Was it dinosaurs. after watching one of the Jurassic Park movies? It was. I think I was about eight years old. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, normal. Velociraptors were particularly uh, threatening. Fast and sharp. Yeah, they yes. could open doors. Did yeah. your family drive a jeep? They did. Ah, actually. see, though, there it is. Yes. Yeah, that's it was, that would be yeah. it right there. Yeah, yeah. It was the utility vehicle that inspired this fear. That's that's why we have to ban all SUVs. They scare the children. They're scaring the children. No, I I had one where uh, because you know Brittany and I live uh, in a Victorian house on a cemetery. We're the last house on the left, right before a cemetery. <laughs> and uh, um, there was what there was a time that uh, I thought one of our our friends was uh, calling my name from the outside because uh, a lot of people go walk their dog out in the cemetery and i and it, it would have made sense that this guy who always has his dog with him was like just gonna go out walk his dog and so i i definitely thought i and i think i had even messaged him earlier that day to see if he wanted to hang out or something so like i i go outside um and i don't see anyone and i was just like it's one of those things where like you're so sure that you heard your name and it was from this like you it's weird it's like weird and stunning that this person is not there uh and then uh, I I went back inside, and I thought I heard my name again, like inside our house. Huh? And that shit's nuts. That's creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was creepy. And we also have a part on our floor. We have w- these wood floors. There's a part that's always a little greasy, and I call that ectoplasm. Yeah, that's definitely oh. ectoplasm. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, I think for like six months after we bought that house, it was still every once in a while just unexplainably greasy on that part of the floor. Just it's ever. not anymore, though. Is it? I think it still is. Okay. I'm yeah. going to touch our greasy spot when we get home. <laughs> Figure out whether it's ever moist. Yes. Yes. Ever moist. <laughs> not ever long, ever moist. Yeah, we yeah. have some spots in the basement where, like, it'll suddenly be... It doesn't appear in any way that anything could be dripping on it, but it's just, like, wet. We have, like, a, a, a hardwood basement on top of dirt that we have to, like, excavate and replace with a concrete pour because it has really high radon. Um and we have these un i don't know the causes spots in the hardwood where it's just always wet it's like an ever wet spot and it's like the same level as everything else so i don't think it's like the ground water's coming up or something but i have no idea what the causes um uh but we're going to find out because in the next that's, like 6 that's months that's a very moist basilisk that lives <laughs> in our house <laughs> yeah but yeah it's it's dry above like, you know, there's no pipe or anything above it that's, like, could be leaking. So. No, it's just ground. It's probably just coming in, yeah. Yeah, the, but it's, like, in the, the middle foundation. of the, 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 the floor. It's just, yeah. like, one spot that's, like, wet all the time. Normal. 
Yeah. So normal. Hashtag basement shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm pumped though. I, I'm going to yeah. uh, ho- hopefully put a, uh, a little... Thank you for reminding me that I spend many hours every week uh, exposed to high levels of radon. Oh, yeah. I yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah, no, yeah. it's no problem. Yep. Uh, we did a, uh, a check in the basement and we found that it both comes and goes really drastically, like throughout the day. Like we did a 48 hour check or something and it had like a full daily sinusoid. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I think was it's it really consistent all- in any part of the day, like nighttime. The radon permeates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do we know radons aren't ghosts? Oh, that's a good point. Right? Radon is really weird. Yeah. Like, like, like I, ghosts are weird. I didn't know about radon until I became a homeowner because, like, that was the only time that I became liable or whatever. Like, had to deal with the radon in a spot. But like, radon comes up everywhere all the time, and it we becomes- have radon. Yeah, it, and it comes up like uh, through the ground. It's like a radioactive gas that's produced inside the earth, or at least it's like released from inside the earth. Um, and it can basically build up in structures that are built on top of the earth. Um, and you got to get that checked out so you don't get lung cancer. That's why I live in a blimp. Yeah, but it, it's one of those chronic problem <laughs> risks. Like it really bothers you if you like live for like two decades, like in high radon or whatever. Like it, it will really raise the chance of cancers and stuff uh, in you. But as far as like uh, acute exposure, you need like a ton to like get any type of real damage. But yeah, we have moderate radon in our basement. We have to test it again in like six months and see if it's gone up. There have actually been case studies, especially in like caves in France where people who have cancer have gone to known um, highly radon uh, filled like caves. And they've, it's been like, a treatment instead of radiation. Oh, it's like so much radiation. Yeah. And they've actually gone into remission. Yeah. That's badass. Yeah. So yeah. But too much. And the cancer comes back. Yeah. You you got to hit that sweet spot. Exactly. Where it's like, you know, (laughs) don't stay in the hot tub more than 15 minutes. Yeah. So I once had a spooky experience. Tell us about it. Tell us. David and I were on our honeymoon after we got married. We took a road trip up the East coast and we were camping in, was it West Virginia? No, it was regular Virginia. Regular Virginia, normal Virginia, and um, racist uh, slaveholding Virginia. It was actually at Pocahontas State Park. So, oh wow, yeah. Um, but it, he had gone to the bathroom, and it was rainy, and I was sitting under this. Um, what are they called though? The like, like a pop up, like yeah. yeah. So I was sitting under this pop up and listening to a book, uh, and David went to the bathroom. So I turned the book off uh, so that he doesn't miss any, and um like it, listening to the rain and it's really like kind of peaceful and it's beautiful and it smells nice. And I hear him come back and I say, God, this is like really, I say something about like how beautiful it is and what a great time I'm having. And he doesn't respond. And so I turn and I expect to see him behind me and there's nobody there, but it was kind of like you were describing David. It was, I had never been more sure of anything in my whole life that he had just walked behind me coming back from the bathroom and I was going to turn around and see him there. And it doesn't really sound like that much, but it freaked me. When he got back, I was like, I was quite shaken after it. Yeah. Um, Because nobody else was camping. Like, it was a little bit early in the season. So the place was practically empty. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was spooky. The the fireflies were incredible on that trip. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good trip. Yeah. Never really had a directly um, spooky experience, per se, in the form of, like, the paranormal. But I did see that UFO once. That that's the only thing that's like in my mind, like totally difficult for me to come up with a rational explanation for. 
Um, but yeah, like I, I, I totally understand what you're saying when you, when you feel presence and you're absolutely sure that it was somebody, but you know, it's like the cumulative effect of all of your sensory input. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we rely on so many more senses than just visual to, to uh, attest to whether a person is like in our vicinity. Yeah. It's like, you know, the vibration through the floor and the, the sound of it. And what, do you think there's feel. anything to the, the, the sense of being watched as like, you mm -hmm. know, there's lots of senses, right? Like we, we have a, a sense for uh, people's like, um, I don't know, body language or whatever. I guess that's sight. But <laughs> I mean, I think senses are described like far too narrowly sometimes because yeah. certain senses can work in combination with each other in a way that almost creates a new set. Like, so yes, so our cat got out and I was walking through the cemetery trying to find him and I was able to literally like tilt my head and echolocate him, which is obviously something people are able to do, yeah, but yeah. you just don't think about it that often until you're trying to find something that's making sound, yeah. which we would have done all the time back in the day, but I don't... Yeah find myself very often trying to hunt something down by sound. Yeah. We have like a sense of time too. Like, yeah, it's like a set, you know, we have a sense of humor. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got this book here. We do. With us, uh, Haunted Hudson Valley, Ghosts and Strange Phenomena of New York's Sleepy Hollow Country by uh, Sherry Farnsworth. Yeah, so uh, we were going to each uh, pick a, a story out of this book and just sort of share. We'll do, and uh, just, uh, uh, you know, we, we set all of our podcasting equipment on fire. So it's like a nice uh, plastic burning fire that we're all sitting around. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Toasty. <laughs> the, the one that I was interested in was one about a the guy that Menans is named after. Uh, and he, uh, I, I was drawn to it because he believes something stupid about how breast, how fear can be transmitted through breast milk. And that just sounds funny. Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Menans, the, the town outside of Albany is actually named after a, uh, uh, a horticulturalist and author, Louis Menan, huh. uh, which I don't know why it's called Menans. Mm. So, like, they pluralized... Well, it was his. Yeah, right, yeah, right? that sounds yeah. like a possessive. Yeah, 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 it's a possessive. And then they just dropped the apostrophe. Yeah, so, um, uh, so it, it's... It, the, the, this building starts off as, a, like, a sanitarium, and, uh, uh, but also, like, just, like, a place that you could just lease and rent and stay in, uh, and then it became a sanitarium, and then once, uh, Social security became a thing in the thirties. It became more of a, like a old folks home. Uh, and is now it's still standing and is, uh, run by the, uh, New York state, uh, like social services administration. Interesting. I think. It's, re it's registered on the state's, uh, historic register, but, um, it has like two dozen people that work there and apparently they've all seen stuff and, and have talked about it. But the best, really the, the best thing about this is Louis Menans himself who is, um, he's like the, the quintessential uh, dad in a horror movie where he doesn't believe anything's happening and everyone else is crazy, especially the women. And he's like, no, this is fine. This is all just balderdash, which I think he actually uses the word balderdash. Uh, and we know this because um, in the appendix of his uh, uh, really excellently titled book, 
autobiography and recollections of incidents connected with horticultural affairs, etc. <laughs> published in 1840. Uh, he has a whole appendix uh, about uh, how much he does not believe that, uh, that the manor is haunted. And it was called Manan's Manor when he was in it because his, like, his family has owned it before. So uh, here's a, here's something. So he, um, he just had a kid, right? Him and his wife had a kid and, uh, they hired a wet nurse to, uh, 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 to feed the kid. And, uh, he wrote his autobiography in 1892. We hardly were moved in. Then some of the few and far apart neighbors informed me that they were surprised that I had hired the place for such a long lease. He was there to write this book. Uh, uh, that nobody could live in it but for a short time on account of the aforesaid progenies of the devil. Rather weak, <laughs> rather weak minds or something equal to it. So, you know, he's like, uh, he thinks all of his neighbors are idiots, too. He goes, uh, uh, and, and so... Uh, he lives in a house named after himself, so right. that yeah, sounds for, right. Yeah, for real, yeah. right? Uh, so when the wet nurse hired by Manans uh, to nurse their newborn daughter was assailed by a powerful ghost at the foot of Mrs. Manans' bed one night, Lewis dismissed the experience as fabricated uh, and was actually concerned that uh, she would quote unquote infuse uh, into the blood of their child. A mass of inflated flesh was uncongealed to the nutrition of a weak, del- delicate child, materially speaking. So he's, you know, he's a materialist. He's a, and he's what a what? <laughs> yeah, this dude is so wacky. <laughs> He's like, uh, no, it's science. If you're easily spooked, that breast milk is sour, and it's going to turn my kid into some type of spooky wuss or something. Like yeah, soft yeah. brain, hurdle the yeah. breast milk. Yeah, okay, so here's, here's, here's more from uh, 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 Galaxy Brain Manand. Uh, we had to get a nurse, a large, stout, immense woman, uh, whom from the appearance one could have supposed she could nurse up half a dozen. Jesus! Like, what the hell, dude? The whole person, (laughs) nobody lady. Also, like, 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 just because you're larger doesn't mean like you contain more milk. Whatever. You didn't know that. You didn't know that larger people are just milk jugs. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just clearly the whole body's full of milk. Yeah. Uh, She slept in the same room with my wife on a cot at the foot of my wife's bed. Jesus. One morning early, I went in the room to see how they were all, when in a great excitement, a flurry, the nurse said that she would not sleep in that house another night for anything in the world that the greatest part of the night she had been tossed, or rather heaved up, as if by the swelling of waves under the cot bed. From that time, she never came any more in the house, but in the daytime, but she never neglected to divulge the incident of having been tossed by spooks. And everybody believed the story as she did herself, but wondered how it was that neither of us four in the house did not hear anything. So either so, while Manan still did not believe that the house was haunted, m- more people in the community like you know continues to like yeah that your 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 place is fucking haunted. So uh, when um, the lease expired and uh, the Manans moved out of the Manans Manor, the landlord's daughter got married and moved into the manor. And the husband of that daughter comes into Manan's, the dude's, like, shrub shop. Like, he owns, a like, a store that you buy. Yeah, uh, like a nursery. Yeah, yeah, like a nursery. A shrubbery. Yeah, a shrubbery. A, ha- a haberdasher shrubbery. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, uh, the husband, like, goes aggro on Manan and, like, says that, like, he's gonna, like, get rid of all the ghosts. 
He says, I will fix them, all right. If any, they must be in the crevices of the old walls, and I will paper them all over and fumigate the whole building from cellar to garret. <gasps> That's what wallpaper is for. Right, it's just sealing ghosts. ghosts. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> Damn, we shouldn't have got rid of that wallpaper. Right, I know, yeah. That's where we've released all the ghosts. <laughs> and, and so basically to this day, uh, everyone that lives there and has lived there and stayed there says that they get like pushed around. And uh, apparently uh, there's a group of people that came in with cameras in 2008 to go uh, like, you know, get some, some evidence there. And they said that they, you know, they, they set up some cameras and then left the room. And then when they played back the footage, the cameras went out the entire time they were out of the room. And then they would turn back on when they came back into the room. So definitive proof. So I don't know what the ghosts are hiding. But they're hiding something. You know what they're hiding. Yeah. 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 They're hiding yeah. the location of Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. So that that's a that's a Manan's Manor. You can go check it out probably. It's you know, probably like twenty minutes away from here. Beautiful. If y'all want. We could do uh, do an on site investigation. Oh, that would be pretty dang. Yeah. <laughs> So this tale comes to us from the College of St. Rose, perhaps one of the spookiest colleges in the area, which I personally went to and have actually uh, personally heard a lot of these tales told in repetition when you're uh, when you're going through orientation. So just for a little bit of background, the College of St. Rose was founded as a Roman Catholic college for women in 1920. Um, now it's a co-educational facility and, and houses like a, a roughly... Um, 65-45 split, or 65-35 split of, of females to males. Um, what has that done to the ghost population? <laughs> What's that? What has that done to the ghost population? Oh, goodness. I think there are dozens of ghosts. Now now, now that it's gone co-ed, like, the ghosts are like, hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, There's, cool. like, yeah. lots of lots of priest and nun ghosts. <laughs> that's practic- That's basically, like, the opposite of RPI, the ratio. Yes, yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So most of the residence halls on the St. Rose campus were uh, local homes that have just been, uh, and businesses that have been transitioned into residence halls. So a lot of them are are set up rather oddly and um, have a long history before they were ever part of the college. And um, one of such was actually a um, house that had a, a very serious fire um, in which uh, it's called Quillian Hall. Allegedly, a playful child ghost causes mischief there because she died in the fire. Students often point to like a charred wood in a renovated staircase to add as proof to their story. But this this ghost has a habit of locking students out of their rooms and awakening them at night and asking them to play with her. And some students uh, have actually heard the sound of someone playing jacks on the floor. Uh, although the pieces of the game cannot be found. Oh, that's spooky. Yeah. Jax is a spooky ass sounding game. It is. You ever yeah. just listen to it? No. I don't how would anyone know what Jax sounds like? What do you mean, how would you know? Uh, it sounds like Jax. So much what? clattering. You'd have to have play Jax. Have you ever played Jax? No. Jesus. What year is this? <laughs> <laughs> You've never played uh, Spin the Hoop? <laughs> yeah, yeah. With stick. a stick. With <laughs> a stick. Uh, um, uh, the final tale I'll leave you with is uh, actually from a, a hall that I lived in, Morris Hall, which uh, is haunted by a priest whose apparition has been spotted by several people, some of whom I've known. Um, 
many times in reflective surfaces because there were just large mirrors hanging in the hallways of this residence hall for some reason. It really opens up the space, makes it, it really feel larger does. than it really is. Yeah, 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 those nine foot, you know, six foot wide mirrors for for aesthetic reasons. And often they'll uh, see him in the location of the former chapel altar, which is in the back of the building um, from when the building was a convent. Uh, students have also seen uh, items fly off windowsills and heard the faint sound of flute music as to the ambiance. And one girl was actually woken ex- at exactly 3 a.m. by the rattling of a mirror on the back of her door, which then burst. Whoa. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then a male student once watched as footprints pressed into his bedding and it looked like someone was walking all around him on his bed. Oh, classic. Very, very now, so you lived ghost. in this dorm, right? I did. Yeah. So did anything spooky ever happen to you? So the, at the chapel that was uh, at the back of the building, because it's like a non-denominational college now, they had walled off the chapel. So it's just this plywood painted brown wall at the back of the building uh, next to a lounge area where they had, you know, typical dorm clunky furniture. And... Oftentimes in the evening, you would see like shadows appear on the uh, walls where the chapel used to be, um, and you could occasionally hear organ music. Ooh, wow, that is pretty spooky. Yeah. yeah. Once again, it was a, uh, a school for the arts, and people played flutes and organs. That's true. And That's yes. true. But jacks are a game for kids, and they are still spooky. So yeah. I'm just going to go with any how, or- organ music. And That's also, how, who's going to drag an organ into their dorm room? Yeah, yeah. those things are heavy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a flute I can see. They could have a keyboard and have it set to the organ this, setting. They just have large, I used to do that a lot. Large speakers and a subwoofer. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> go at it. Uh, uh, and is there any sort of like a legend tripping things that people do where like, you know, you, you know, those things where you like go to a specific place, do a specific thing and it's supposed to bring out a oh. ghost or a demon. I do. I knew that they did tours on campus, but I'm not sure what would bring out the child ghost. A lot of times they would say that if you went into Carrie hall, which is where the, the little girl died um, and you actually stood in the hallway and you said, I'm ready to play. Like sometimes that would make her. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Like a Ouija board call out. Right. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I would imagine if there were like legend tripping on college campuses would be something like, you know, like if you pound a natty ice in this one oh. spot, you know, like, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, a ghost will come out and challenge you to, to do a second one or something. Maybe you should add a stint at St. Rose to uh, grad education. Yeah. Yeah. Inculcate that. <laughs> I've heard more and more people tell me. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had, um, it, when they were picking out residence halls and I was assigned to the uh, Morris hall, two of the girls I was supposed to room with refused to move there because they had heard the stories of Morris Hall. Being haunted? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, why? I would totally, definitely, you can always move out, but I would absolutely move they into were a haunted dorm They didn't good. want to be shown up by that flautist ghost, mm, yeah. I guess. <laughs> the <laughs> egos. The yeah. egos on those flautists, yes. I swear. Yes. It's, it's, rare, it's rare that there's any harm done by these ghosts, right? Like... They're scary because they're unknown, not because they have a track record of like straight up murdering people or like torturing them in any way. That's why poltergeists are the only truly scary yeah. like spirit. 
Well, if, if you're a, a large wet nurse, the, the bananas <laughs> are going to come after you. That's true. Yeah, they did yeah. get. Uh, yeah, they got. What did he call it? Uh, beat about. Yeah, beat about. Yeah, yeah. yeah by spooks. <laughs> by spooks. Okay. I wonder what the spook was trying to do. Uh, jostle her around in her bed. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's not. Yeah, they, maybe they didn't have a plan. You're know, like, oh god, I'm in over my head already. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with this. This wet nurse. It's like old Yeller trying to alert you to some sort of emergency. Right. Just in, instead of like yapping at you, just shaking your bed to violently wake you up and ensure that you uh, you you rescue the baby from the fire. I mean, you guys have had that uh, feeling like when you're asleep and then all of a sudden you drop from about like eight to 12 inches above oh, yes. your bed. Right. Like, onto yeah. your bed and you feel like the, the balance and the sink in and like you spring up and you're awake and you're like... Yeah, it's very convincing. Oh, That's yeah. a good point, yeah. I've often actually had that experience uh, when undergoing, like, oral surgery, and they put you on nitrous oxide. You wake up, like, suddenly with, like, a chest expansion. Yeah, because if you're given too much nitrous oxide, you actually start to lose consciousness. Yeah. Um, so, I, it was literally my brain shutting down. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Yeah. And then being like, whoa, as they would adjust the levels of too nitrous much, too oxide. Much. Yes. Whoa. A little too much. Wow. Whoa. Yeah, I, I mean, really, now that I think about it, maybe that whole Manan story is just, like, Louis Manan's, like, sucks. And he's, like, shitty <laughs> around. And you're, like, what, what would you rather have? Like, uh, fame as having seen a ghost and, like, everyone believe you? Or, like, work for this asshole? Right? So, like, clearly, you spend one night there and you're, like, I, I fucking hate my boss. <laughs> and so you're, like, oh, yep, ghost ghost uh, totally wrecked me. I have to go. I Like, I can't sleep at the foot of your wife's bed. <laughs> Is that when they, they said that? Yeah, right? yeah. That she was... slept on a cot at the foot of her his wife's bed. Like that sucks. That's so actually you saw so he like didn't sleep with his wife typically. No, no. Yeah. So that's that was actually a very frequent setup for for women uh, of nobility, especially like they they believed that nursing was very bad for a woman who gave birth because it would like distend her breasts and make them unattractive. Oh, yeah. so so you farm that stuff out to yeah. lower classes. Yeah. And if you aren't nursing, then you stop, you know, leaking and you stop actually producing milk. Wow. That's well, what we do to cows. We just make them nurse perpetually. What a trip. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the baby needs to feed like throughout the night. It's not a, not just a daytime activity. So the wet nurse needed to be attached to the baby at all times. So West Hall is probably one of the most haunted sites in the area in terms of like for how famous it is for being haunted. And West Hall is currently um, the RPI Arts Department building. Yeah, it's one that's like very much on the hill, uh, the steepest part of the hill. Right. It's be- And it's a beautiful building and it kind of like make- creates that whole like RPI hillside um, view. But West Hall served as the Troy Hospital from 1869 to 1914, and it was like an incredibly miserable place, as so many hospitals of the era were. You had everybody from like the sick and dying to the insane, like, you know, social outcasts, homeless people. It was basically just a catch-all for misery. And one of the more famous ghosts of West Hall is uh, Nurse Betsy who was supposed to be a Civil War-era nurse who allegedly went on a maniacal murdering spree while tending to the insane patients in the basement. And she was said to roam the halls. But 
uh, there's no record of anyone naming Betsy or anything similar ever working at the hospital. So probably, still, it's, yeah. Still though, it's a cautionary tale about unionizing nurse nurses. You know, he's like, if you work too hard, you know, like you could snap. It's good yeah. for the, it's good for the patients good and for improving the like our, you know, mental health care in this country. Yeah. Improving mental health care facilities, all medical facilities, really. So, uh, after it was used as a hospital, it then sat vacant for a while. It was a training facility during World War One, and then it was a Roman Catholic school. And then in 1952, uh, RPI purchased the building to use for uh, classrooms and laboratories, and that's who owns it today. But um, since RPI purchased the building, it's there have been a lot of strange tales of hauntings. Night custodians complain of hearing doors closing and opening in empty hallways, glass breaking for which no sources can be found, and eerie far-off screams. Printers and other office machines have been known to come on by themselves. Custodians have even complained of smelling fresh-baked cookies, but never being able to find them. That sucks. That does suck. Can you imagine if you just smell cookies at Ghost work? Ghost cookies? It's horrifying. That, that's just Yankee candles. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of students volunteered to spend the night in the basement once to document any hauntings, and they captured a three-second whine on tape that they hadn't been able to hear with their own ears. So some pretty compelling EVP material here. They also heard what sounded like moaning on the other side of a door and rather than check to see that no one was hurt they ran out of the building in the middle of the night (laughs) (laughs) of course uh one particularly memorable incident occurred one night when every toilet in the building flushed at precisely 3 a.m that's cool 3 a.m known as dead time yeah satan's hour the uh inversion and mockery of the holy trinity um but, it's, also, it's also the most likely time that you're going to have to take a like a late night shit. Right. <laughs> no, I don't think. No, I don't shit at three a.m. I shit yeah, but, my it, time. but but if you that's, if like if you were going to take a shit in the middle of the night, it would be at three a.m. Yeah, that's fair. Skeptics of the synchronized flushing flushing toilet incident at West Hall say it was merely the result of a heavy downpour overloading the city sewer system, causing the toilet water on the premises to burp simultaneously. Why, why would you take that from people? Like, just <laughs> let people have that. <laughs> well, well, actually, God, that's such a what a buzzkill. <laughs> um. And yeah, it's pretty famous there. The, all, all the kind of standard like ghost hunting techniques have been used and stuff has been documented from EVPs and electromagnetic field readings to photographs depicting spirit energy in the form of orbs. And even uh, paranormal investigator Lorraine Warren, who's famous for uh, Amityville Horror, among other things, but um, just total flim flam, flim flammer, the Warrens, both of them. But even she says the West Hall is haunted. Oh, wow. So that's the story of RPI's West Hall. I actually took a class in West Hall when I was an RPI student. So did I. It is a creepy fucking building. It's pretty cool, though. It's very creepy. Yeah. And it has, like, this kind of parallel structure to, like, this... um, It's shaped like a U. Right. Yeah. But it has this symmetry to everything that's super easy to get lost or disoriented in there. Like, I remember I left class one day and went to the women's room and, like... I had been going to this class in this building for probably a month at that point, And I literally got lost. I could not find my way back to the classroom. It took me like 10 minutes to find it. Whoa. Yeah. That could just be me being hungover, but I'm pretty sure it was ghosts trying to keep me from going back to that boring ass class. Ghost got your back. 
<laughs> we'll just we'll just disorient her, keep her out of this crappy class. Yeah, no, I I don't remember having anything particularly scary happen in West Hall, but it is like like the the hallways are really really big and this in the like they're really wide and the ceilings are really tall, so it's just like a very cavernous yeah. mm. place. It's a strangely proportioned space yeah. walking yeah. through it. Yeah, I used to uh, work uh, UPAC Sound uh, on campus, so I did uh, sound reinforcement uh, engineering. So basically, like setting up cabinets, amplifiers, cables, microphones, mixers, like EQs, etc., to like put on sound reinforcement for any event. And we would have West Hall shows and um, we had to take all the uh, gear in and out of like this really tiny, like 18th century um, uh, elevator that was like maybe like three foot, four foot wide and like five foot deep and had like um, the sort of like metal uh, like ladder. What do you call it? Like uh uh, like a like screen. A yeah, yeah. So like, like a freight elevator. Basically. Yeah. 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 And it, it would close in front and, uh, yeah. Those are it, scary. Yeah, Those it, kinds of it, elevators it, are terrifying. So n- nothing like paranormal, but just, uh, very, uh, creepy and spooky on its own. Right. Just, uh, being, you know, w- working in, in those. Cause when you'd load up the, um, the, the rack of amplifiers or whatever on, on the little dollies, uh, they would be, uh, about as tall as you were. And so there was like no more space in the elevator at all. It would be like one person in the dolly would go down and then meet up with people would walk down the stairs. Um, but yeah. It's, it's a pretty fine line between haunted and OSHA violation. A dangerous building well, uh, also seems a little haunted. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> they built stuff uh, smaller back then for whatever reason, at least with this, this space. Cause it was, it was a pretty big, um, uh, hall, you know, it's yeah, the halls you know, are enormous. Yeah, it's yeah. like at least you know, 200 probably. I wonder if that has to do with uh, thinking of churches and educational spaces as like you want them to be lofty and aspirational, so you want the hallways to be very wide for lots of traffic flow, but you also want the ceilings to be very high because that's just closer to God and like closer to illumination and whatnot. Well, the, if it was, it was uh, built it, to be a hospital, yeah, if it was oh, built to be a and, hospital, then it's like uh, all the air, it'll get, yeah, all yeah getting air. Out. Yeah, I Keep wonder all the spooks on the ceiling. Not yeah, on the <laughs> well, I wonder what they did for the main hall space because that looks like it'd be an odd thing to put in the middle of a hospital. Um, I wonder if it was just like a, like a triage or, you know, just like an open, like just a bunch yeah, of beds. All that could very room. well be the case. Maybe the, the, the bandstand or the, uh, the stage went in. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a hospital during the civil war. So huh. not that like Troy was, you know, On the a lines. major battleground in the civil war, but it's a spooky ass building. It's just got a weird feel inside of it. I think that that's the, like 99, if not a hundred percent of hauntings. It's just like, sometimes you get in a building and it feels creepy and mm-hmm. people just kind of like imprint their own haunting experiences onto that that sensation it also doesn't hurt that like all of our american classic horror stories are like written around here so every so like all the architecture and all the environment of the northeast is so closely associated with what we think or what we identify as haunted mm. so Spooky you know like west hall just looks haunted because it's a haunted looking building you know <laughs> it's sort of like a self reinforcing idea there. I think so much of Long Island feels spooky for just because it looks like Amityville horror. Like that, that Mm. style of house is so common in Long Island. And I think at least my first experience of going to Long Island was like, what a creepy place. Mostly because 
you have that style of house everywhere. Mm. So when mm. people see old uh, or like less cared for Victorian houses, mm-hmm. they immediately think ghosts. We already, somebody already told us that our house looks less spooky now that we redid the siding on it. Yeah. Because. Yeah. I wonder if the ghosts think that. They're like, I don't belong. We just gentrified our ghosts out of our house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this doesn't look like my, this doesn't look like my home anymore. It's like, God damn it. I have to sleep outside in the cemetery now. <laughs> not posh enough for this swanky house yeah. so th- there's there's an uh, an entry in here about um what is now the irish mist or i think it was actually going to be transformed into something else like it was a building that was recently bought up i think after the uh the restaurant the irish mist closed did it finally get bought i think so oh, yeah okay. i think there was some movement on renovating that space so uh, knowing how the the uh, naming conventions of gentrified troy it'll probably be something called the mist um but yeah so this one was heavily uh involved uh with paranormal researchers directly uh so the northern new york paranormal research society or the nnyprs which is a terrible acronym so i'm just gonna refer to that as the paranormal society for now (laughs) Um, they investigated uh, the Irish Miss restaurant in Troy in uh, 2008, and uh, they left with a bunch of personal experiences, um, as well as uh, stories of uh, residual and true hauntings. The personal um, experiences are what matter the most. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, apparently one of them, um, uh, Meryl McKee, uh, had a full body apparition or an FBA um, which was approximately two feet in front of her uh, or him. Uh, and uh, it was a bald elderly man uh, wearing a navy blue shirt who appeared standing sideways and looking in another direction, seemingly unaware of the presence of the investigator. The apparition appeared to be solid instead of fuzzy or colorless, like many have been uh, reported in the past. But the image only lasted a few seconds, barely enough for the time for the investigator to process what he was witnessing before it dissolved into thin air. Um, and then they get into a little bit of the history of this building. And like way back in the day, it used to be a stove foundry uh, and that there was a spark that went up uh, and ignited a barrel full of gasoline, which exploded um, in uh, 1902 uh, and burned it a lot down. Uh, and then it reopened uh, as the Irish Mist. Um, and then there was just a lot of people saying, like, paranormal things were going on. So uh, when they went there uh, or when the owners were setting up the restaurant, apparently they had, like, a bunch of silverware and glasses, like, left out on made tables that they came back and, like, the tablecloth had been removed, like, suddenly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're really quiet on some nights, you can hear an extremely loud explosion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, they send a bunch of paranormal investigators who set up uh, an audio uh, capturing device and left for three hours or whatever and came back and like there was lots of uh, ghostly chatter. Ooh. They don't get mm-hmm. into any of that. So, they don't yeah. say what the chatter was? No, they don't. They don't get into it they, <laughs> or, or describe it. But besides that, just, you know, a lot of uh, audio clips with, quote, questionable sounds unquote, were required. <laughs> just trust us. It's really spooky. It's raccoons. <laughs> it's raccoons fucking. <laughs> oh, man. 
Oh man, you you can't even you don't even want to hear it, man. You just don't. It's just too spooky. It's too spooky. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing that really haunts it now is uh, uh, liens on the property yeah. that make it too expensive to rehab. <laughs> just too many like tax uh, back taxes, water yeah. bills on there. I never actually went to the Irishman. No, did neither did I. No. no. But I used to walk by it all the time because yeah. we used to live near there. When that closed down, like 2014, 2013, something Mm, like that? Something, yeah. Yeah. Just one too many hits on the old liquor license. I think there was a bunch of shootings. I think there was a bunch of shootings. Right, yeah, yeah. And and that's what hit the liquor license, yeah. Like so many good bars. That's happened to a lot of good bars in Troy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shooting related pulling of liquor licenses? Yeah. What, What is the context? Like someone shot someone else at your bar. You get points on your, if you have violent events and violent incidents uh, associated with your bar, including things like uh, DWIs. If people get enough DWIs saying they came from your bar, that can get you a hit on your liquor license. There's all kinds of things. Oh, wow. So you gotta, you know, with great power (laughs) comes great responsibility. Yeah. What used to be on Broadway that closed down uh, the brew Oh yeah, yeah. Brew. Uh, it wasn't. It was a knockoff. Oh, of it was beer a beer garden. garden. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. They, didn't they just call it uh, brew Broadway garden? Brew? Something. Yeah. Broadway Beer Garden. Broadway yeah. Beer Garden. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you talking had about that list of absurd shots? You, they had like 160 different flavored shots you could buy. It was yeah, disgusting. yeah, yeah. And they, they, they made their their employees all wear like the. Oh, yeah, you're talking about Kareem Jandali. Did we? Yeah. yeah. Did we talk about him in the goat story? No, I don't think so. No. Oh, apparently he like yeah Kareem Jandali man like. That guy's that guy's a trip. Who is he? Um, he's this white guy named Kareem Jandali, and he's a realtor, and he is a bit of a slumlord, and he I think owns some good oh, properties it. as well. Uh, but like, yeah, no, I. Isn't he, he also was, a perv? He used to like let underage girls drink in his bars. I don't know. With them and stuff. I don't know about that, but I do know that I overheard a conversation from two employees at this beer garden, <laughs> like uh, in Troy, not the current one. I don't want to do any defamation, but the it was the one that he had started up on Broadway uh, next to basically bootleggers. Like it was like. I, I think maybe it was where Placid Baker is now or something. I'm trying to remember like the exact. Location. Oh no, it's, it's where the whistling kettle. Yeah, whistling was. kettle. Whistling kettle, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, it was actually pretty decent. It, it, like you know, it was relatively cheap. They had good uh, German import beer. They had a killer happy hour. Yeah, yeah you yeah, could get like, like so, a liter of beer for four bucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got like a big, a lot of Optimator, uh, big mugs, and yeah, I get trash. And they had the 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 peanuts. They they were doing the beer garden thing right in a bunch of respects. But I remember when I was ordering a drink, I heard two of the employees who were both like young women and they, they were like dressed in like, you know, sexy lederhosen like Halloween costumes. They like, were so bad. So bad. And, oh. and, and they, they were, were definitely like party city Halloween costumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like they were not meant to be worn seven days a week. Yeah. yeah. Like hard labor. And, uh, <laughs> they, they were complaining about having to have to wear these, these outfits like to each other. like, you know, like they must, I don't know. Yeah. It was, it was a, it, it, it was a sketchy place. Yeah. It was a pretty sketchy place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then like they get shut down and then bootleggers got shut down also. And you just like those like long lists on the door of like, here's 150 like 19 year olds that were drinking at, the, at your bar. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah, but, there are many sketchy stories about Kareem Chantali. Yeah. Yeah. We could talk a lot of shade about that guy. One of them features a, a, a young goat, a kid, if you will. Yeah. The, he just, Toted around as a pet and, so th- uh, and a, a what 
Yeah, yeah. He so he. I don't know how he got this. Well, so this story comes uh, already thir- third party from a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Sam, who uh, alleges that he was out. I think at the beer garden um, one night, like late in you know the early two thousand is six 2009 range. Mm-hmm. And apparently uh, Kareem was out with like this little like kid goat, a baby goat. Just on a little, <laughs> with a little collar and a string that he'd like tied around his wrist. Yeah. And uh, you know, Sam was like, uh, dude, what are you doing with this goat? Like out here? And he's like, Oh, it's cool, man. He's a party goat. Like, Hey, you know, like he's, he's down. <laughs> it's like, and then, then I look, I look at the, or I, you know, I'm saying, uh, Sam's part. Cause this comes third party. He was like, you know, then I'm looking at the, this goat and the goats like, looks like, uh, Slurms McKenzie, you know, when he takes the, the, uh, sunglasses down and he's like, so tired of partying. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, <those> poor guy. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea that someone should be like already familiar with the idea of a party goat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's a party goat. I do like actually do. think that's a frat house thing. Is it really? Yeah, I think okay, so. okay. It, it's just what I know. And so you know, he, you know, Sam's like that. That goat looks tired. You should probably take that goat home, man. You know, it's like probably trying to sleep and like that's grow cruel. Right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, oh, that's cool. That's cool. He loves it. You know, and he just gives it some hay or some treat or something. Uh, and then apparently, uh, did he just pull a fistful of hay out of his pocket? Cause that <laughs> would actually rule. And that would, I, oh, I don't know. I don't know the details of that, but I talked to, uh, uh, Sam says that, uh, later on, like a week later, he ran into Kareem was like, Hey man, how's the goat doing? Like, how's everything? He's like, Oh, that thing, that thing died. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and then, then he's like, Oh, you know, no big deal. Like, it's like easy come, easy go. Like, you know, life what is tough f- or something. I forget, uh, what, but yeah. That so if, if true, this person is a fucking monster. Mm. Oh, if yeah. Allegedly. 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 Yeah. Well, yeah, and he's a slumlord. That's really all you need to know. Yeah. yeah. Allegedly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I'm sure that you get a lot of mixed reviews, you know? Like, uh, have you guys been keeping track with the DSA's um, uh, tenant horror story uh, or landlord horror story um, series that they had uh, on Instagram and on Twitter? They're reposting uh, publicly submitted horror stories by various uh, landlords that were, like, uh, horrible. And um, they were organizing using the stories themselves, like, agitprop for building, like, a tenants union. And so they're going to try and, like coming up in the next month, like start uh, putting together meetings and stuff to organize a tenants union. Yeah. For- first one is in a couple hours from when we're recording. Oh, hell yeah. 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 yeah there's ones where like, like people were like taping up a, a light fixture because like baby mice kept falling out of it and stuff oh like my God. really awful. Whoa. Or another person uh, couldn't get mail because the steps to their apartment were so bad that the post office was like, it is a danger to our postal carriers to use these steps. So we're going to like suspend mail service. Yeah. Unless you fix it. Yeah. Uh, and th- so now they like, you're not getting any mail for weeks. They weren't getting mail. And then like, of course all your bills stop, uh, like p- pile up because yeah. you're not getting, you're not getting them. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bad stuff. Yeah. yeah it's really bad. I yeah. I saw a bunch of fucking landlord bootlicking on the Troy subreddit from when the DSA would, 
when from I don't know who was posting it, but people were posting about the tenant horror stories on the subreddit. And they oh, were people like, were landlords are important. I own property and it's hard. Me, 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 me. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Well, I think everyone will agree that the work required to maintain uh, housing to code and to, you know, safe standards and everything uh, is important and difficult uh, work. But it's just the question of like how that work should be funded and organized and like decided on uh, and who it's accountable to, et cetera. Like without the, you know, and then the profit motive is like a really bad motive for getting people to collaborate on creating a good value situation from like housing in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, people are always incentivized to do the, the least or the worst in terms of the, you know, bottom line. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably going to get left canceled for saying this, but like, I don't really have any problem with good landlords. And yeah. I know that's kind of like saying good cops, but it's different <laughs> because I have had good landlords yeah. and like, it doesn't really, I mean, the, 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 like economic model for it sucks and is exploitative. And I don't like, I don't prefer it to other things necessarily, mm-hmm. but I've had good landlords and like, not everybody can, you know, like owning property is a fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. is a pain in the ass. And there's and, always something that has to be paid for. And yeah. there's always something that has to be fixed. And everything that goes wrong is your problem when you own the building. Yeah. I meant that's, I loved that about renting Yeah, when I had good landlords, because yeah. if something got fucked up, it was like, Oh, better call the landlord. And then, he would come when we had chip when there was one apartment that we lived in where like he fixed shit on our house faster than we currently fix shit on our house that we live in and own. Yeah. So, and that's life changing. It would just, yeah, it would just be better if, you know, like the state owned all housing and that sort of, uh, service was the default. Right. But I sort of wish that the state just did a better job of enforcing like, like it should, it should cost you. So like to be a landlord, you should have to be held to a high like standard of care for your tenants. And I don't currently know, like, I don't think the state requires you to do any training to like rent property. Mm-hmm. Does it? No. I mean, no. like there should be, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, or just go full USSR, like state owned housing. <laughs> fine too, well, I, I think that the idea of like forcing, you know, anybody, whether it's like the state or, you know, municipal housing group or whatever to like own all housing um, is uh, I think un- unnecessary. I think the big issue is like making a plan B for profit driven housing market, market like, uh, you know, offerings. Um, versus like a publicly like essentially free like you know housing uh, needs fulfillment like uh, I think that there's a lot of ways we could do it that uh, we could fund it you know and and operate like a multi uh, you know type of uh, distribution of uh, housing needs I just think that housing co-ops make a lot of sense in the long term like the idea of a tenants union it's like at what point could you get a tenants union to have enough capital to just own and rent to itself? Right. Yeah. You know, to yeah. Like, that's, that's a big, that would be a big deal. And you know, like there's been like lots of other ways that we've, uh, bought, bought and sold, uh, housing for each other. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have been made illegal, mm-hmm. illegal, uh, through, uh, mostly labor law is a big way to make, uh, housing that was owned and operated by, the working class was uh, th- uh, financed through pension funds. Mm. Uh, but there's like several laws starting with the Taft-Hartley Act, and, Act in 1947 that uh, makes it basically illegal to, to use that money for that purpose. Yeah. Well, I mean, hypothetically, you, you'd, you'd need... 
not that much to get started because like the whole idea is if you were to, you know, rent to the corporation, that's like this housing co-op or whatever, like directly, you just need to start with like some housing units. As soon as you had some housing units, you could get like cash flow positive as it relates to like funding the uh, cooperative directly Uh, and then just acquire more and more housing units. And just like, you know, the problem is always the price of land. Yeah, or the you know the actual price of the of the building. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to have some have to amount of rent, right? But the issue is like if you set it up as like an or, or an, or an organization whose explicit purpose is to democratically operate to fulfill housing for people and to be like as non-exploitive as possible, and so there's just not a lot of. Um, you know, like long-term profiteering. Like if yeah, rent- yeah, that would be nice. There, it, there's just no. Uh, I, I think a, in order to get the housing in the first place, yeah, right. It costs an enormous amount of money. Yeah, right. And, and that, that's the that that's always sort of the the rub. There is the price of land, not yeah. necessarily uh, the cost of construction or anything like that. It's mostly uh, buying land in places where there is uh, jobs. Well, if you were to, you know, go about trying to get the uh, housing on the auction list or whatever for this purpose. Yeah, but like, then it needs to be, like, fixed up a lot. You have to put in yeah. a massive, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. initial so injection of money. Yeah. Stuff. yeah, but, like, that's probably the least capital intensive, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, best yeah. bang for your buck yeah, if you probably. were to try to, you know, do a, well, a, a housing cooperative like that. Well, I mean, I think the big difference is, is a mortgage versus, like, a large initial injection of cash mm. in terms of, like, so being able to buy... Uh, a house that's like turnkey that you can immediately start living in, but yep. you only have to put down 20% on a mortgage if yeah. it's like two family or more versus getting something on the auction, which you may get for six grand, but it might require 75 grand yeah. in initial work. And yeah. so like, that's a, you know, it's hard to get them uh, loans for that kind of money too. Like you really need, yeah, to have, you, yeah, you, you usually can't like cash on you also hand. can't live there while you're making those renovations frequently. Yeah. So you're continuing to pay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it, it like we were lucky enough to get this spot for what we got and uh move in pretty shortly after, but we were like living in North Central and traveling here uh in the evenings and like you know, any time we had to like get it more and more livable and we did a bunch of reno. But let's be honest, this place was turnkey. Yeah, yeah, enough like, that we could have if we needed to li- live here. It was here. a luxury for us to make improvements. Yeah, we just had to we wanted to like pull up a bunch of like you know, moldy linoleum and yeah. stuff in the basement, get it down to bare wood and sand it and finish it and do some tiling in the bathroom. So yeah, we did all that really quickly, but um, yeah, like uh, it, th- that'd be just be one way to do it. And then like the land bank, I guess is, is what we're really talking about. You land know, the bank idea. Is, a, is a big deal. Yeah. yeah that, and being that, able to like rent someday from something akin to the land bank. That's like just a non-for-profit, like, you know, you could call it public housing or whatever, but the basic idea being, you know, that we just try to keep as much of the capital needed for just basic living, like stock in like, you know, the public's hands as opposed to private profiteering interests. Yeah. The land banks are, are especially good in places that have a lot of vacant housing uh, because th- there you get into the model of like, can you get the the state or some sort of municipal entity to gift the properties or in so- somehow create an incentive scheme where you have a bunch of zombie pri- properties where every, no one knows who owes how much and what, and most of the liens on the property are from the government from or like back water bills and stuff like that. And you can find lots of ways to 
more comfortably put those things back back on the tax roll by having one nonprofit entity owning all of those buildings and paying mm. uh, back at least something to the the city. Yeah, the, there's a specter haunting the capital region, the specter of a tenants union. <laughs> <laughs> So, David, you just wrote something about Ghost Adventures, correct? I did. Has it gone out yet? No, it, it, it'll probably go... It'll go out on Halloween, so it'll probably go out the same time that this episode is going out. Yeah, so by the yeah. time you're listening, um, you should be able to read David's piece yeah, published in, real life. in yeah. real life Magazine. Yeah, and it's a... Um, and, and if it's not... Uh, you know, if we if we beat the clock and this, this is out early, you get a little uh, sneak preview. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I've been wanting to do this really since the summer. I wanted to write about Ghost Adventures. And really since like 2013, yes, I think. Yeah. But well, yeah, I, go I, on. I, th- I, I thought about actually writing my dissertation on, on Ghost Hunters. <laughs> but uh, th- uh, probably for the best that didn't happen. But um, I disagree. <laughs> I'm going to go with a hard disagree. Yeah, yeah. But the... Uh, uh, so what I did write about was uh, the show... Ghost Adventures from the Travel Channel. It is, uh, I think, still and by far their most popular show. And it is uh, what I describe in the essay as uh, three or four men dressed like come to life hot topic mannequins. Uh, they visit, they, you know, they visit <laughs> locations around uh, around the world that are said to be haunted. And they, uh, uh, the it's a pretty formulaic show where you know, like first they're like interviewing people about you know, like their experiences, and they look at the at the place, and they walk around it in the daytime, uh, get a sense of the place, and then they do what's called a lockdown, where they uh, this is like part two, like the the middle part where they set up all their cameras and their equipment to like do all the recording and figure out where the ghosts are, and then the the the, the climax is overnight they stay in the haunted place and they scare the shit out of each other running around trying to capture electronic voice phenomena evps and like just basically proof of the paranormal as they call it uh you know and it's really just like mostly like these like 40 year old men in skin tight black t-shirts yelling <laughs> like if you're in the room touch me you know <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Uh, were you were you raped in here? Yeah, so you, like, so, it's yeah. really fucked up. Yeah, they say a bunch of fucked up. Or like, you know, and sometimes they like they'll be out west. Like they they're based in Las Vegas. So they'll, they'll do like a bunch of old mining towns, and they'll like go to like a, a haunted brothel or something. And it'll be like it'll, it'll, just, it'll just be like some like teenager jokes where they're just like sitting in a bed or like i think a ghost of a prostitute touched my belt buckle bro <laughs> you know, like, it's like do dumb <laughs> dumb stuff like that yeah but, i think they steal dossier up in here <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, the thing that i find particularly fascinating about this show is that they can like go to places and sort of imbue them with meaning and like authenticity because these are just like nowhere places you know like it only took to like season four when they went to salem massachusetts that they went to any place that has some sort of like name brand recognition like they're all just out of out of nowhere like people be dying everywhere man (laughs) (laughs) yeah right well it's cool because like like you say you know like yeah people be dying everywhere and so you can take something really mundane like a boring house and a, a tragic but mundane event dying 
and take those two things that are very plentiful and turn them into something very unique and special, which is this uh, uh, unique history in one place. Right. And geographers talk about uh, uh, the creation of place or placemaking as uh, this um, very specific intersection of history and geography. So like a particular thing happened in a particular space in time and that's place. That's what's what uh, 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 experts call place. And, and that's how it, it's different from space, which is just sort of a generic geograph- geographic location. There's a lot of, um, just if I can interject, there's a lot of like religious studies work on, because that's what I, I did my undergraduate thesis on, um, like placemaking as ritual and also as like a, like a political tool as well. But there's, you know, the the distinctions between space and place are often um, almost divine Mm -hmm. in some ways. And it's kind of like how you order geography is a reflection of like our understandings of what is beyond this world. Uh, So I think that that's kind of an interesting intersection there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what I steal your thunder. No, not at all. No, are you about to say that in the essay? No, I don't. But what what I do say is, um, well, I kind of like, I guess I kind of leapfrog over that crucial point and say that, you know, like there's this uh, sociologist that studies like tourism. I, I cite two different tourism studies uh, scholars. They're mostly sociologists. Uh, Dean McCannell, who has a pretty foundational piece written in 1973 about uh, authenticity and meaning creation for tor- toward spaces, you know, like tourism. And then uh, Ning Wang, re- she writes something in 1999, I believe, that is... Um, she like does like a taxonomy of different kinds of authenticity. So you can have like objective authenticity, which is like, you know, the thing that art historians care about where you're like, this is definitely a Rembrandt and we Mm. can prove that Rembrandt made this and it's followed this chain of custody. And so this is definitely a Rembrandt. So you authenticate something that, you know, there's that sort of authenticity. And then there is uh, a constructed authenticity, right? Where um, you just sort of create a agreement among interested parties that this thing is the thing that you say it is. So that was like the shroud of Turin. Yeah. Historical (laughs) figure artifacts. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Those letters came from so-and-so to so-and-so. Yeah. It can be that that's, that's a little bit more objective authenticity. What uh, socially constructed authenticity is, is like, um, uh, like you go to Hawaii and they give you a lay and there's like someone in a grass skirt dancing. Right. And they're like, even though you've never been to Hawaii, there's been a constructed sort of essence of Hawaii that is those things. Hmm. And now you go there and you recognize that as our all agreed upon Hawaii-ness. Uh, so you, and you can do that with all sorts of things. Uh, no, it's just a good, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like Hawaii-ness. Hawaii-ness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, you know, like, or you go to a punk show, right? And, it, and you know, it's rocking really hard and it's really good. And there's like, there's a mosh pit and it's, it's and none of the beers are good, you know, and they're like, so in that, so in this instance, uh, like this constructed authenticity is basically just, this conforms to what we have all decided are the characteristics of blank, exactly. whether it's like mm. punk or Hawaii or yeah, you're, you're performing the genre like mm. to a T. Right. But that would be like an authentic reproduction of something yeah. too. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then that's where it opens up the space for like that really like, breaks apart objective authenticity because now all of a sudden you can manufacture these authentic, mm. authentic experiences just by, just as long as you have enough consensus about, you know, like whether or not you've achieved it or not. But then there's this third one that's called existential authenticity. Uh, and that's what ghost adventures is doing. 
and existential authenticity. Well, they're, they're, Ghost Adventures is doing all three, but they're primarily doing this third one. And existential authenticity is neither the social realm or the object. It's the distance between them. It, it, it's the experience of the person looking at something and feeling as if they've had some sort of historically meaningful experience. Hmm. So uh, it's like um, going to Ireland and feeling like you've gotten in touch with your Irish roots, or it's uh, going to see your favorite band play and uh, you feel like you, uh, and you get like a backstage pass and you've met them and you feel like, you uh, are on the same level, like you get something together, you know, like that's, that's sort of an existential authenticity because it not only seems like you've witnessed something unique, but also you uh, uh, learn something about yourself. And usually you feel like you are actually being yourself. Hmm. Uh, And there's sort of this paradox here, right? Because like, if, if you're only truly yourself in these really pointed moments that are outside of the everyday, then why is the real uh, so rare, right? And we and we square that paradox by saying we're alienated. Like, capitalism makes you alienated, and you never get to be your real self until these small moments of authentic experience. And so what Ghost Adventures does is it can go around and say, this boring place that didn't mean anything to anyone is actually important. And so the example that I have... Uh, in the in the piece is uh, Thornhaven Manor. This is in season eight, which is really like peak ghost adventures. Is like definitely the good shit. That's, yeah, yeah, it was like around seasons. They really like, hit their stride. Yeah, they really hit their stride <laughs> in between like seasons like five and nine. And so th- this one is uh, they're going to this place called Thornhaven Manor, which is in uh, Newcastle, Indiana. It's just a s- suburb. But the, the 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 episode opens up with Zach Bagans, the main. Uh, investigator and producer and writer and uh, co-creator of the show. He's in like all black with like a big silver medallion or something where he's wearing. And he's like, obviously on the side of a street on like a, uh, like a early summer cornfield. And he looks directly in the camera and uh, he says uh, the following. We have been to the darkest Gothic castles, the most violent, disturbing prisons, We've been to the scariest places on Earth, but the places that are truly dark are the ones that are isolated, the ones hidden within Americans' farmlands. Oh. I'm so, I'm so horny right now. Yeah. <laughs> impression. right now. So if you do go on Google Maps and you look for Thornhaven Manor, it's this like dilapidated house on the side, like at the edge of um, a bunch of McMansions. And it's like three minutes from a Buffalo Wild Wings. Nice. <laughs> it's really, really, it's like, it's, it's not hidden at all. Right. So, you know, so he's stretching the truth there already, but, um, but it doesn't really matter because like the point is this one specific place. So it really could be like 10 miles away from all that. It's isolated in like this psychological social sense, not necessarily uh, strictly geographically because it, it just looks very different than everything else around it. And, you know, they, they run around and they're, uh, and they get scared. And there's like a, uh, there's a story about um, this young girl that died named Lizzie. And of course they get a ghost saying Lizzie on, uh, uh, on a 
voice mic. recorder. Yeah, yeah. mic. <laughs> you can also go on Google and find people rating it. Uh, and it was like someone that says like five out of five stars, uh, had a great time, you know? Uh, but, uh, you, uh, you, you know, you get the, you also get the sense that like the, they, they actually, they, you know, they basically say this is now an authentic, important place. He's like, they tell the owner of the, of the building, you know, like you have something really special here, you know, protect it. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's, it's very clear what they're, what they're doing. So they like authenticate. They are authenticators. Yeah, they're but so they, yeah. That's why they like existent, the authenticity works at all three levels, right? right. They authenticate it objectively. <clears throat> they're the whole show is creating a uh, a constructed, mutually agreed upon like genre of of haunting, which uh, in folklore studies and in uh, a lot of uh, Eng- like literature, there's stuff called uh, the suburban gothic. Uh, and the suburban gothic is the idea that uh, now as we're we've moved pretty far past the original suburbs uh, of the 20s and now even the post-war like 1950s uh, suburban neighborhoods are fairly old now uh, they start to get run down and it's sort of like society grappling with the idea that this thing that was supposed to be very new and modern and futuristic is now old and broken down and so the suburban gothic is like all these hauntings and uh dangerous creeping in of uh outsiders to the to the suburban and and the and the out of the way and boring places and so the uh, and so they're also creating that so now you can have an authentically suburban gothic place and they're they're cataloging all of those, but then there is also this existential authenticity of like you could live nearby a place that really matters that has like a creepy, uh, disturbing death happen there, or there's a gateway to hell <laughs> like around the block, you know, like stuff like that, and like that just makes your life more interesting. That's the same reason that people like Alex Jones or Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop or something is that like the thing that you always thought you suspected you, you were special or you lived in a special place or something like that, like that you're being told that you're right. Right. These, uh, or that you had access to some secret knowledge and everyone else's, you know, sheeple, you know, like it just validates you that you actually are special and, or you live in a special place and you're right. Uh, and that's very, uh, it's obviously for obvious reasons, you know, very soothing to people. Yeah. Yeah. Stroking your significance boner. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You get a a good significance boner there. Yeah. So that's a, that's, that's basically my, my whole essay. That's really cool, David. Yeah. It's just the, the idea that ghost adventures just like the, like why is like three or four guys that look like come to life, hot topic mannequins, like why, like running around abandoned buildings? Like why would anyone watch that? Well, do you not address at all in the whole essay, their hotness? Because that seems to me, (laughs) no, I don't. No, I guess I didn't. Because no. you don't talk about the fact that they're all hot. Are they all hot? No, just just Zach Bagans. Yeah, Zach Bagans. <laughs> you know, you can like basically see his nipples through his shirt. Yeah, yeah not a mistake. That's authentic. Yeah, that is a, a authentic man bod. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's also interesting, the last thing I'll, I guess the last thing I'll say is, um, uh, they they're using a lot of the same techniques of uh, Instagram influencers uh, to uh, to create this authentic feel. So like uh um the this uh um researcher of Instagram influencers Crystal Abedin uh uses this phrase 
uh, calibrated amateurism where, you know, if if you're too put together, then you lose that authentic flavor, right? So if you're like a, a makeup uh, tutorial person or you do some sort of uh, like wellness uh, brand thing, right? Um, the whole point of, of social media is to get that intimate connection, right? And if you're always put together, if you always wake up like this, then, you know, it doesn't feel intimate. And so they'll... Uh, carefully deploy like Finstagrams or like these other, like these other Instagram accounts that are uh, quote unquote fake, you know, like fake in that, like they don't have your name on it, but it's the actual you it's the backstage as uh, Irving Goffman. So famous sociologist would say, you know, it's the part that it, where you stage your outside personality. Uh, so people are getting meta with it. They're like, you know, celebrities are talking about the work of the process of generating and maintaining celebrity, yeah. like on their, their like official, unofficial uh, Instagrams that like people know about that, that are allegedly confirmed or whatever. Yeah. They're open secrets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Or, or like behind the scenes of my life of like generating the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a weird level of like self curation. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It's multiple levels. Yeah. yeah. And, and or or on the on your on your main, you know, you get you get horny on main, uh, or or never you, get horny, on main. yeah, or or you, you get authentic on main, where Except you say um, you uh, uh, you get a uh, you get authentic on main, where you start talking about like mental illness or like oh, yeah, some, yeah. something that you you've overcome, right? Yeah, like a personal struggle, and then you're like, and that's why I use uh, uh, Casper mattresses, you know. He's like, he's like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like after a long, stressful day, you know, where I, 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 I learned that my brother had died, I actually had a fairly good night's sleep on a Casper mattress. You know, well, uh, you know but you, you do stuff like that to um, to maintain this this intimate connection. And the Ghost Adventures crew does that by one constantly saying, like in the first few seasons, they would say, like with no big camera crews following us around. You know, and it's like, it's only the three of us in this uh, abandoned place. But as they get older, and that now they're on season 19, uh, you know, they um, uh, they start deploying more uh, professional appeals to authenticity, where they say, like, you know, we've worked years to build our credibility. He mm. even, like, he says it just like that. Why does he say it, like, credibility? I don't, well, because he's kind of, you know, like... He's, he, it's, he's sloganeering. Yeah, I, I mean, like, to some degree, I think it, it is meant to, like, make you focus on the word credibility. Uh, yeah. I don't know how much, yeah. you know, I, I don't know how much we should credit him with, like, mind I mean, games or something. Like, but. here you are talking about it. Right? Yeah, here <laughs> I am talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, and so they, they go back and forth between, like, we are professional ghost hunters and we know ghosts when we see them, to then, like, simultaneously... Like they'll they'll go back and like say, uh, oh, we actually got this part wrong, and they're like, oh, we debunked this thing that we originally thought was a ghost is actually not a ghost, and see, the, and there you, you they're like showing you that this is a process. This isn't just all done up. Like mm. we're we're doing science in the moment, and so it's and so there's like a bit of amateurism that they always let shine through in order to uh, make it feel more authentic all, all the time, even so they can carry that um, amateurism even through 19 seasons by, you know, just like tactically throwing those little bits in. It's sort of like uh, how, uh, you know, I always think about the, um, the mystery machine and the um, Scooby-Doo gang right? and how like, 
exhausting must be for Scooby and Shaggy to continuously be afraid of ghosts when every single time they're debunked as just like land developers. The themes of Scooby-Doo are, are really interesting because like they're, they're like post long-term economic downturn. Right. Like, and they're just sort of going around in this van and they're like sticking together for some reason. Like, you know, they got to like, you know, make, make, make it do. Well, they're a and polycule. They're yeah. a polycule. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're solving these mysteries. The mysteries are always, almost always about how there's like, you know, nobody around anymore and they can't get the, like the land to like return any value. So it's like somebody who's trying to like, you know, keep people out from like a new development that's going up or like they're trying to, you know, uh, artificially raise attention for a, a cause or something. But yeah, like time after time they find out that there's nothing wrong, but they're still like shook every single time. The, the, the specter of uh, debt and um, not being able to afford to leave a situation shows up in so much paranormal mm. uh, uh, stories that like you are trapped, you're trapped with the ghost uh, for no other reason than you can't afford to leave it. Like, yeah, literally- that's like the heart of, you can't really have a good like poltergeist story or haunted house story without, cause that can always just be, it's either the ghost will follow you or you can't leave because all your money is tied up in the house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then that, Otherwise that the story is really... too easily resolved. Just <laughs> right. leave. Just like go away from the ghost. You have and to then... be haunted by the ghost of money's past. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And there is a bunch of good, um, uh, writing on that specifically. That's a good point you bring up, Chris. Uh, you know, like there's uh, this really close relationship between uh, capital and being haunted. You know, like they they actually work together uh, quite often in those stories. Well, and like who buys the haunted house? It's the young couple just starting out. They can't believe what a great deal they're getting yeah, on this house. Why was this amazing house so affordable? And then either the realtor lies to them or tells them the truth, but they're just, you know... Don't believe they it. have so much gumption and they, yeah. they do it anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that reminds me one thing that got cut out of the original story um, was um, uh, the, the court case, the New York state Supreme court case that, oh, yeah. that uh, gets to d- decided that a house was legally haunted. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so they, what, um, what era was this? This was actually in the eighties. This was oh, in, the late, in the late eighties. Uh, I think it this, like wasn't this like kind of a direct result of Amityville. No, no, this is in, um, uh, just north of, of New York City is this mansion on the Hudson, uh, that this, uh, this old lady had, um, uh, lived in it for a long time and done some interviews, some very big interviews, like one was in Reader's Digest about how her mansion was haunted and it was like on a haunted house tour and stuff. And she wanted to sell it and she sold it sight unseen to some asshole Wall Street guy. As you do. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then he was, met, and he put down, you know, like the, the, uh, the deposit and, uh, he was going to get it. And then he finds out after he put down the deposit, but before closing on the house that it's, uh, that it's well known as haunted. And he's like, I don't want to live in a well known as haunted house. Not necessarily because he's afraid of ghosts per se, but because he's afraid of not being tourists. able to sell it. Yeah. Well, uh, or, well, or, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to be a tourist. Att- he doesn't want to live in a tourist attraction. But then uh, again, the paradox of, there's a there's a Streisand effect that happens because now that this has become famously legally a house that is contested because it might be haunted, the value actually goes up. But he still gets out of the deal. He doesn't take the house, hmm. 
but but the woman who is sued about her house being haunted and not disclosing it now gets even more money for the house because uh it was because it became famous yeah Yeah. so the way the law works is you don't have to disclose to somebody if there's been deaths but you do have to disclose to someone if a house has been publicly acknowledged as haunted yes (laughs) that's That's precedent if if it is publicly known to be haunted oh wow you have to be notified yeah and what's the what's the litmus test for that like how how do you know Whether like it's on a tour or yeah if it's been on a ghost tour if it's been published oh yeah. all right so now we can weaponize ghost tours yeah it's it's actually it's actually pretty <laughs> close to uh the laws around squatting so to, to like uh take possession of a property adverse possession yeah 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 in order to take uh possession of a property for, for squatting on it you have to and this is in the law openly and notoriously yeah notoriously. like live on the property yeah, so, or, yeah so if you openly and notoriously uh claim that a place was haunted you know it's, it's you're basically fucked wow yeah. we, we can you know we can produce produce some type of power around this whole open and notorious uh claim of uh haunting that's why we can never talk about how haunted our house is on the podcast <laughs> right. too, because then so the the um uh the court case is uh Stamfosky the uh ackley and it is uh the house is um currently owned by modest yahoo oh really (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh and uh and he just put it back on the market like a month or two ago for just under two million dollars nice that's bonkers oh i think that makes for a good wildflower Yeah. yeah yeah Matsyahu owns a haunted house in uh, Poughkeepsie or wherever you said it was. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a little town that uh, no one like no one except has ever heard of except for this reason. Well, that was okay. a good spooky episode, you guys. Yeah, happy Everyone, Halloween! Thank you for joining us. Halloween. It was so great to have you on. Of course, this was lovely being a part of the action. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, if you want some more content, uh, feel free to rate us or. Um, uh, review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts uh, and screenshot that or uh, be able to show, shoot us a, uh, a hammy or a, a coffee at uh, buymeacoffee.com slash ironweeds. Yeah. We're on Instagram. Ironweeds pod. We're on Twitter. Ironweeds pod. And we're our, you can talk to us about your paranormal experiences or any other uh, topic you want to bring up by emailing us at ironweedspod at gmail.com. Yeah, and you know, like you might have been listening to this after Halloween or on Halloween. Uh, the spooky doesn't stop, so you can still send us stuff, and we'll read that shit into November. Just keep it going. I mean, it's upstate New York, so all fall is spooky. Yeah. Like it doesn't. Yeah. The spookiness doesn't end with Halloween. Yeah, as the days get shorter, there's more and more time for spook. The nights grow long. Yeah. Yeah. And winter is coming. I'm so not ready. I'm not ready for winter. (laughs) All right. Happy Halloween. Thanks, guys. Happy Halloween. Bye. Bye.